Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, this is Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary Roughness. roughness. I think this, that somewhere within the first five to ten plays of the game, the other team's quarterback must go down. And he must go down hard. It's Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Big hole. First down, end zone, touchdown, touchdown Raiders, would you believe it? This is Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy, Adam Candy. Very natural, love how it sounds. Your boy, Adam Candy. That was the best edit I've ever heard. And that comes from a high, high, high level producer, Emeritus, in Jonathan Von Tobel. Alongside with me, Adam Candy and Damon Cotton here on Unnecessary Roughness on R&R as we power through our number two. Uh, got Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus coming up here momentarily to talk about his article about betting market implied power rankings as well as Superbook putting out all of its lines for the entire season, every game of the NFL season. You can join us. Here on the show, 702-365-9200, or on the Sam and Ash text line, 69187, with the keyword R&R. Visit them at SamandAsh.com, because you deserve what's right. Uh, you can find us, of course, Raiders.com, LBSportsNetwork.com, or search Raider Nation Radio on the TuneIn app. We've been talking a little bit about the Raiders' playoff possibilities. mentioned earlier that... DraftKings has the yes for the Raiders to make the playoffs at plus 160 here at the moment. Implied probability around 38% and change. Pro Football Focus Simulation has it at about 36% right now. So not particularly far off, but Ben Brown is behind some of that simulation work that PFF has done. He has an article up right now at PFF.com talking about betting market implied values for NFL teams, and he's kind enough to give us a little bit of his time here on Thursday afternoon. Ben, welcome. How you doing, man? Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me on, Adam. Uh, I definitely appreciate it. Always, always willing to talk uh, our Las Vegas Raiders a little bit here. Our Las Vegas Raiders. Although, Ben, I, I, I don't know. I, I said this to you on uh, on social about a week ago when you were talking about the Raiders having the fourth hardest schedule in the NFL by uh, ELO strength of schedule. Uh, and obviously, with, uh, with 36%, not a great probability from the PFF simulation as to the Raiders' chances of making the playoffs. So why don't you lay it out for us a little bit about where you see the Raiders fitting into that AFC picture, where the betting market sees the Raiders fitting into that AFC picture. Yeah, definitely. I do think, you know, so you talked a little bit about these, like, market-implied power rankings. Basically what we do is kind of uh, take all of the spreads uh, and totals that we can gather, you know, throughout the 2022 season that's looking forward, uh, and we can kind of build in uh, a, a power ranking for how, uh, you know, the sports books actually arrived at those spreads and totals and those sorts of things. And, and doing that, we can kind of, uh, you know, put in tiers and rankings 
uh, how well each team is expected to be throughout the course of the 2022 season. And it does seem to be, you know, despite some of the things that you've mentioned uh, as far as the Raiders and the futures market, uh, the, 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 the spreads imply that they are actually a pretty good team. We have them 11th overall uh, and spread points above average based on uh, where the betting market kind of views them right now. So even though uh, they're not likely to make the playoffs or and have like a win total kind of around that eight and a half game, uh, which would indicate that they're going to be outside of the playoffs looking in, uh, the betting market still you know thinks that they're a quality team, a little bit better than average. So the issue, of course, being uh, the rest of the AFC has gotten so much better and and, and the only thing that the Raiders have really done is, you know, kind of add Devontae Adams. But uh, when you look back at some of, you know, their past five seasons of, like, draft history, how well they performed from that expectation, uh, they've been one of the, if not the worst team in the NFL at drafting over the past five years. So the cupboard uh, is kind of bare, right? There's not a lot to backfill outside of just a couple hits that they've had through the, through the draft. And at some point, uh, that's going to come back to bite them. So if Derek Carr doesn't necessarily live up to, you know, where he was at even last year, which could be, you know, close to the top of his range from the quarterback perspective, uh, it could turn uh, kind of ugly for the Las Vegas Raiders. And that's kind of what we're seeing uh, in a lot of our simulations right now. Ben, when you're, when you're using these spreads uh, to then calculate what you've got here in this article, how do you filter out home field and what the books are using for that? Because that's also part of these numbers. So what did you guys do with home field when you're sorting through uh, some of these point spreads that you're seeing? Yeah, definitely. So we can kind of at least uh, figure out how much the book bakes into uh, the, the, the spread for home field advantage based on, you know, the, the matrix that we can kind of solve uh, using a math-based equation. So it does give us right around like 1.65 uh, is like the spread points for a home field advantage uh, for a league-wide average. And I do think that, you know, it's fairly reflective of where um, – where the market is essentially going, it was obviously lower than that in 2020, even 2021. Uh, it was closer to one point, but I do think that we're going to see, you know, with more bigger crowds, fans back in the stands, uh, and probably hover close to that 1.65 average that we're seeing uh, based on this particular calculation. So we'll see if that actually holds true uh, and how well, um, you know, that does in predicting if that actually matters that much to the spread, but that is kind of what we're seeing right now. Your article at pff.com right now has the power rankings in tiers. Uh, I think the one that will get the most attention from Raiders fans is seeing the Los Angeles Chargers up in the top tier of Super Bowl contenders. Uh, how do you see the Chargers being valued by the betting markets? Yeah, definitely. I mean, they, they look like the like a team that has probably improved more than anybody else. Uh, in the NFL this offseason that didn't add, uh, you know, a franchise-type quarterback, right? And I do think that we're seeing the betting market heavily buy into them, especially early on. And I do think that, uh, you know, it might seem like a drastic leap to go from, you know, losing that game to be in the playoffs in Week 18 last year uh, to actually being uh, not only in the playoffs but a potential Super Bowl contender as the fifth-best team in the NFL. But that's, that's exactly where... Uh, the betting market is pricing them to be right now. And, of course, that's, you know, one look at them at their current power rankings right now. Of course, things are going to change. New information is going to come in as the, as the season progresses, and these things are obviously going to shift, you know, somewhat dramatically in certain situations. But right now, uh, I would say uh, there's no team that is, you know, has seen that big of a jump as much as the Los, Los Angeles Chargers. And I do think there's a couple ways you can play that. Uh, you know, maybe if you don't necessarily buy into them being – or deserving of that big of a jump. You can obviously fade them in the futures market. You can fade them on some of these spreads. Uh, but I do think that given where they're currently priced at, it is difficult uh, and does seem like you are kind of buying into them at the top. So I would definitely agree with Raiders fans uh, from that perspective. But the nice thing about this particular exercise is uh, there isn't really 
there isn't any like PFF type data included in this. It really is just taking the spreads and totals uh, and doing uh, a sort of uh, calculation that that other people have kind of developed uh, in order to kind of generate various power ranking systems. So I, one of the uh, one of our listeners tweeted or texted this in, and I, it's, I think it's a fair question. I have been one to think that the markets are a little too high on a team like the Denver Broncos. I know they got a lot going from a, from a roster standpoint, upgraded quarterback. Um, you have them, of course, here in the if things break right tier. Uh, what's your takeaways from where the market has rated Denver? Because I feel like they're they're a little too high. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree with you. I do think they're way too high in the futures market. Uh, we have them eighth overall in these market implied power rankings and our you know PFF centric ELO rankings. Uh, we have them closer to 12th, I think 11th or 12th faces where they fall. So we are lower on them than consensus betting market. They're a team that I've been actually fading. And I do think, you know, maybe in 2023, there obviously could be uh, closer to where they are projected at right now. But I do think there's just going to be a lot of uh, potential uh, for struggles early on, given the new coach, new offense coordinator, new quarterback, everything kind of needing uh, to come together really quickly here for the Denver Broncos to live up to some of those expectations. So uh, they're a team that I'm actually fading in the futures market. We'll see if that actually uh, comes back to bite me in the end, but I do think that they uh, make for a very justifiable fade as we you know, kind of head toward the 2022 season. Ben Brown, senior data scientist from Pro Football Focus, joining us. Uh, John Von Tobel, Adam Candy, Demont Cotton here on Raider Nation Radio. Uh Let's pivot a little bit from talking about these tiers to talking about the Superbook opening lines for every game of the NFL season. And, Ben, maybe we can correlate a little bit here between what people have been betting all offseason, whether, whether it's win totals, whether it's division futures, and then what can they do potentially with some of these opening lines? Again, you, you are talking about here in May, maybe locking up your money for quite a long time, but you're doing the same thing with futures uh, if you are willing to play those markets as well. But how can you work those two together to try to get yourself uh, a little bit of profit? Yeah, definitely. I do think, like, you know, in looking at these futures markets, evaluating this first run of spreads, like, the way that they are calculating these team rankings are very similar, right? So if you see a discrepancy in the futures market, uh, there's plenty of opportunities to potentially take advantage of that, uh, given, you know, week to week type spreads for those certain teams. So a team that, you know, we really like, uh, at PFF right now is the Detroit Lions. I know that, you know, probably makes a few people want to throw up in their mouth or something, but they do seem <laughs> to be a team that is kind of heading in the right direction. Uh, and I think if you look at, you know, even like a week two matchup, at home against Washington, you know, two-and-a-half-point underdogs right now. I do think that uh, they probably could be a much better team than Washington toward the end of the season. I think if, if they play well in week one against Philadelphia, they're a team that's going to have that spread shift pretty dramatically with pe- more and more people buying into them. So I do think that, you know, maybe approaching it where if there are a few teams that you think are potentially undervalued in the futures market, on top of waiting, you know, uh, for the long season in order to get that over. You can kind of bet some of these teams in week two, in week three. And if they do live up to some of those, some of your own expectations for how well they perform, uh, you're going to see some pretty significant closing line value as you kind of head into those weeks. And from there, uh, your options are uh, a lot more wide open as far as how you want to approach that particular betting week. So uh, it's something that I enjoy doing. I do think trying to open up, you know, middles, uh, for various teams with spreads and actually hitting both sides of that bet is something that uh, not a lot of you know people necessarily try to do or probably not as many newer-type recreational bettors try and do, but I do think it's one of the uh, most profitable and least, you know, least risky ways 
uh, in order to build a bankroll uh, sports betting is something that I, you know, try to take advantage of at least in some of these other sports where I don't maybe have, you know, as much information, as much knowledge, uh, and as much modeling as I do as in, in the NFL and college football. Well, one of the offseason darlings has been Philadelphia, a team that you just mentioned in passing there. Uh, Futures-wise, a lot of books reporting some building liability on the Eagles. Uh, where do you guys stand with Philly, and where did this exercise in terms of power ratings come up? Because if you compare your article with the Futures market, there's definitely a difference there in that the Futures market and the liability building up on Philly doesn't necessarily reflect uh, where the point spreads would have them. Yeah, definitely. So we basically have them, uh, you know, we, uh, we've shown no real value on any of their Futures markets right now, uh, and we I, and I do agree with you. That was one uh, that tier four basically, uh, you know, was Dallas, Philadelphia, Arizona to a certain extent. I do think that, you know, Dallas and Philadelphia um, probably are a little bit undervalued in this exercise. I do think that that's because of some of the specifics with the NFC East potentially being so bad uh, and how chaotic that has been. Uh, but those are two teams that maybe um, seem to be, uh, you know, the betting market isn't necessarily buying into. I do think that a lot of that has to do uh, with the quarterback situation and kind of how both, you know, uh, Dak Prescott and Jalen Hurts finished out last year. Uh, and maybe they think that uh, there needs to be some, some further correction. But I do think that, uh, you know, in looking at it, both the Cowboys and the Eagles potentially jumped out to me as maybe being uh, a little bit undervalued in this particular exercise. But uh, when you look at it, especially in the futures market, like you said, we've seen uh, pretty dramatic shifts for the Philadelphia Eagles. And it does seem like a lot of money is uh, pouring in on them after that A.J. Brown trade, after they, you know, have gotten guys like James Bradbury to get on board. So uh, it's, it's, it's interesting, but I still think it all comes down to how well Jalen Hurts performs and what they actually ask him to do in that particular offense. And I think that early on you can get a pretty decent price on him. I do think that it's pretty efficient where they are at right now, uh, but they're definitely not a team that I'm buying into one way or the other uh, until I see you know, these first couple of games and how they're actually approaching and handling Jalen Hurts in that particular offense. Raiders will have a de facto home game in week one playing at SoFi Stadium against the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, as we just mentioned, the Chargers are being rated quite highly by the betting markets. Four-point spread on those Superbook openers for the Chargers over the Raiders. Uh, how do you see that one in particular, Ben? Yeah, I mean, that's going to be a tough one. I do think that is kind of the initial uh, measuring stick for the Las Vegas Raiders, right? I do think uh, if they can, you know, come out with a victory on the road in week one, uh, it's going to be back to the, the, you know, us versus us versus the world mentality where they can kind of beat anybody. And I do think that's what they showed throughout that 2021 season, the reason why they were so successful. So I do think it is a pretty significant statement game for them. Uh, and on the flip side, Chargers, obviously, like we said, have been getting a ton of hype. Minus four might be a little bit too much based on where these teams are currently at, but it is obviously a projection throughout the course of the 2022 season. So I do think that, you know, if you, if you think that uh, the Chargers are just a little bit overvalued, uh, there's probably no better opportunity to take advantage of that than with, you know, the Raiders spread uh, plus four here. Because I do think, you know, given this, given the fact that, like you said, this could be more of a neutral field type situation, uh, the spread points would indicate that this is probably closer to a three-point differential than four points. You are probably getting a little bit of value. It will be interesting to see um, if there is any movement on that particular matchup. But right now I haven't bet it, uh, but I would probably lead slightly in the Raiders' direction uh, right now if I was forced to do so. 
you know, some of the teams that I think are pretty fascinating are these ones with the questions about like who's going to play a majority of the snaps at quarterback, right? We were talking about Cleveland earlier, how that situation unfolds. I'm actually really interested in San Francisco, who's going to be a Raiders opponent. Like, how do you handle a team like San Francisco where we kind of, like, I, I feel like it's kind of up in the air how this is going to go or how the guy in terms of Trey Lance could be in terms of being a starting quarter, a caliber quarterback in the NFL. How do you rate a team like that? And especially when you're looking at point spread. Station Casinos out here, Ben, initially opened up the 49ers as a road favorite against the Las Vegas Raiders when they put these point spreads up. And I felt like, yeah, that, that seems a little strong. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I actually tend to agree with you on that. And I do think that, uh, you know, as time progresses, especially with San Francisco, it does look like Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be the quarterback. Uh, we have him basically, you know, below league average in the same tier as, you know, sophomore quarterbacks like Justin Fields, Tua Tagovailoa, Trevor Lawrence, those types uh, that maybe could offer a, a lot more ceiling than what uh, Jimmy Garoppolo offers. So you are kind of splitting the difference in a lot of ways, but I do think that uh, if you wanted to potentially price in a Trey Lance situation, um, it would be more so of, you know, extended error bars on how well they're actually going to perform. There's obviously much greater downside uh, and pretty, and I would say also pretty significant, uh, you know, upside to Trey Lance starting that quarterback and, and, and how you evaluate uh, the rest of the 49ers rosters kind of uh, uh, indicative of how they're actually going to perform. So I would be more concerned uh, fading the San Francisco 49ers with Trey Lance at quarterback uh, than knowing that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be the guy because I do think you at least understand what Jimmy Garoppolo is going to offer for you. Uh, but there's, a, there's an element of knowing that I probably wouldn't want to risk uh, fading San Francisco if Trey Lance is going to be that quarterback. So I think you take a, I think you take a cautious approach, uh, similar with Cleveland, obviously, uh, completely different situation, but uh, the timing for when uh, they are actually going to have Deshaun Watson or not is still very much in the air. So um, I think they're a team that you can probably just actively ignore for the most part uh, and not really try and gain an edge because I think it's probably not going to work out for you uh, just as often as it might work out for you if you do capture some closing line value value in that situation. So I'm I'm taking a more cautious approach. I know you know betting may not necessarily be the perfect activity if you do want to be cautious, but I think with those particular situations, uh, it's definitely probably the correct approach. Yeah, come on, Ben, you got to give us winners. You know this. You know how this works. Got to give tough. us winners. Winners only. So I know it's it's tough. It's it's and right now a lot of our stuff is still you know we're still trying to sort all this data and information out and kind of you know gather and gain insight. Uh, and it is an interesting time of the season, of course. We have gotten at least rosters somewhat stabilized but there isn't a ton of uh you know information at least as far as who's starting and who's not uh and i do think that there probably are a few different viable options based on uh who those starting quarterbacks are but right now uh we just don't have enough information in order for me to risk any amount of money on it i would say well i was hoping for a stone cold lock of the century of the week lock. here um, but I, I guess you're not going to give us anything off that uh, off that superbook, off that superbook grid. I mean, there are more than 250 games on that superbook grid. I assume one of them jumped out at you. Is this line is off by 10 points? I said Detroit. I said Detroit plus two and a half week two is an absolute stone cold lock. I also think, um, I also think that uh, the Chiefs against the Chargers in week two uh, as a minus three point favorite, I think also makes a ton of sense. There we'll is. see. I do think. Uh, Cincinnati is actually probably, I would say, undervalued uh, in the betting market right now. Obviously, everybody's you know fading them pretty aggressively. I think you know as only four point uh, road favorites in in New York against the Jets in Week Three, uh, I think that's a slam dunk play as well. So those are probably my three favorite early season bets that you don't necessarily have to uh, you know wait the whole season. 
uh, and probably make for a little bit better value because of that uh, than betting any of those teams on the futures market. I love that you're talking about the Lions because, Ben, if, if Dan Campbell gets that team better this year, then, then the then the rather significant amount of sixty to one on coach of the year that I have on Dan Campbell is going to make it that you might never talk to me on the radio again. I'm retiring to an island somewhere in the Caribbean, and you are invited. I would. I'm I'm coming along. I think I got to get on that train as well because I can't be left behind without you know the Dan Campbell hype train. I can definitely get yep. on board with that that. That, so that. that I love the play. I love the play. That's just it. That's what we like to hear. You love the play. Stone Cold Locks. <laughs> from our friend Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus, Senior Data Scientist. Find all of his work at pff.com. Ben, as always, fun times, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Have a great show. What do you think about what Ben had to say about the Raiders and their chances of making the playoffs? We're going to talk more about that on the other side. 702-365-9200, 702-365-9200, or text us 69187 with the keyword RNR. Hey, Raider Nation, this is Bill Romanowski, and you're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920. Boom. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy Q. In for Q, it's Jonathan Von Tobel and me, Adam Candy. Demond keeping us on the rails as always. At me, JVT, on Twitter, at Adam Candy. Two E's at the end of that. Your texts have been coming in. Damon has plenty of them to get to. I won't waste any more time talking. Damon, what do we got? All right, juice mode coming back. I'm still stuck on the 36% orange juice, 64% water. Sounds like a great way to cut two thirds of the sugar and calories and really stretch that juice budget these days. It only makes sense Luca was down in some apple juice in that mug pregame. That's right. Luca is the kind of rich gentleman who can afford 100% apple juice in that glass. Now, with me, it's more uh, – the PFF simulation showed me that my orange juice is at about 20% of the glass, and the rest is water. And let me tell you, it, uh, it'll carry you for weeks. You guys want something really freaky. Ask Adam to peel a banana. I don't he, even want to know. Let me peel, just he, blow he, all he of your minds. peels it from the bottom. You know what the failure rate on that is? Zero percent it will open every single time you will never smush the top of the banana it will never be too green for you to get it open 100 percent success rate thank me later demand who else do we have all right here's another one they didn't leave their name i don't understand how anyone could say the raiders have been the worst drafting team over the last five years colton miller max crosby nate hobbs josh jacobs trevon mooring hunter renfro that's it. Uh, yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll let him have that. I'll let you guys respond because there's some easy uh, holes in the argument there. John, you want to take this one? Well, I mean, it's simple. You you can't miss on your first round picks. Oh, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that's, you yeah. can't miss on the most valuable asset, which is the first round picks. So hey, at, at least those uh, those uh, the year that they had those three first round picks, all those guys got their fifth year contract extension. Right? Wait a second. Wait, a, is that is that what? Uh, or, or oh, that's <laughs> right. We're being sarcastic. Uh, yeah. the, the Raiders deserve credit for finding late-round gems. They absolutely do. But yep. they also deserve criticism for not hitting on what should be your most valuable and your, your most accurate selections. You should be able to get 
starter-level players with first-round selections. When you have as many as you do that don't pan out, that's where you get the criticism. And the criticism has to be amplified when that particular year that you're talking about was the centerpiece of the rebuild that John Gruden was putting together. You have three first-round picks in a single year. You've let go of Khalil Mack and gotten draft picks back. That is supposed to be what builds the foundation of the team. You, uh, We've seen from now, you, you overdraft Cleve Furl. Uh, a running back and a box safety who did not perform well enough for you to give them their fifth-year options. That can't be viewed very kindly. All right, Damon. What else we got, Damon? D and Candy, there's no way the Choker should be there and not the Raiders. We knocked them out of the playoffs. These rankings are put out by the NFL or their associates, and we all know they are against the Raiders. I got to say, John, I have been – now, this is my fourth hour of doing uh, Unnecessary Roughness. That is our first conspiracy text. Uh, that is our first conspiracy text about the NFL. Look, uh, these actually uh, these ratings that we're talking about, uh, if you didn't hear Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus a moment ago, this actually isn't PFF information, right? When we talk about that 36%. Uh, that is their simulation, but it's not far off in the betting market at about 38%. And all they're doing is they're taking the spreads from the sports books, working it backward, and coming out to about that percentage. So, you know, if, if you have issues with those numbers, don't look at Roger Goodell. Look at the guys behind the counter at the sports book because they've, uh, they've got real money on this. Also, I mean, I don't think this, this would probably surprise some people. 36% is a pretty good chance to make the playoffs, all things considered, especially the AFC, right? When you're talking about the price that you're mentioning, Adam, um, from a betting standpoint, it's actually not that bad. Plus 160 at yep. DraftKings right now on the Raiders to make the playoffs, minus 200 on the no. All right, we got one more. I skipped over this one because this is going back to some car conversation, but being a Raider fan, this would be the only time I would say go with a Charger. Because the Maxima reminds me of a rich white kid in high school who has a ghetto mentality. Big deuce. <laughs> <laughs> that is so specific that it's gorgeous. Like he Big, knew. He totally Big deuce knew knows the guy. guy. Yeah, I was he, say, knows he knows. The, oh, no. Oh, no. This is not a, uh, this is not a generic characterization. No. And, and next time, we're going we're gonna to actually uh, – who'd you say that one was from, Devon? Big deuce. Big deuce, here's what we need. We need another text from you on the Sam and Ash text line – Let's name this person. Let's let's go all the way here. We we came this far. We know exactly who this person is that that you are referring to. Six nine one eight seven keyword R N R seven zero two three six five ninety two hundred. That's uh that it for the text line right now, Damon. Yeah, that's all we got. Also, real quick, Big Deuce, if you are going to respond to this, I would like to know: is that an ironic Big Deuce? Like, are you actually a really little guy? Because I like ironic names. Or are you actually big? And is that Big Deuce just something that you picked up from our earlier discussion? Uh, from Raider Richie in Arizona uh, talking about his son's pooping the bed, which turned out to be his S-U-N-S, son's pooping the bed, not what John and I thought, which was his S-O-N-S, son's pooping the bed, which honestly would have been better content, but we screwed that one up. Uh, we, we missed on that one for sure, John. I'm not good with cars, by the way, so I had to look up to refresh my mind's eye of like a Nissan Maxima, and yeah, that, that, that yeah, every, I yeah, think Big Deuce is right. Big, big, deuce is, uh, big Deuce is onto something there. You know, John, in these betting market implied power rankings from PFF, I want your informed opinion because right next to the Raiders are a team that they were fighting for a playoff berth with last year, and, of course, they are your favorite team 
the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, we got the Colts uh, one spot behind the Raiders in that kind of fighting for the last wild card spot, which to me feels a bit off. We've got an AFC, uh, we got an AFC South battle in studio right now between uh, Demond's Titans and John's Colts. Should the Colts be right next to the Raiders? Should the Colts be potentially ahead of the Raiders? Because you mentioned earlier about 11 teams that could be realistic AFC playoff contenders. I think it's fair. I think the Colts are a playoff team. If you're going to talk about them as a a Super Bowl contender, I think it's a little... I think that's a little overzealous because you just don't know what the final product's going to be, so you want to see everything there. But I think at the very least, their floor should be the playoffs. And I, and I think that's what you're talking about here with putting them there. And I think it's fair to put the to put them behind Las Vegas, a playoff team from a season ago. So I would think, yes, that is an accurate representation. And I also think, too, I get it from a fan standpoint – but to say that you are a playoff team, I think is a very solid. It's it's a very solid indication of your that your team is set up for success because you know a playoff team is like we'll call it like the average outcome for a season for them. But there's also the season where everything really goes right for you and you're like a 12 win team and you're competing for home field advantage throughout the postseason. So I think it's very accurate to have the Colts there, and I think it's an accurate spot for the Raiders too. What about you, Demond, with the Titans? Because uh, they're a tier below that, and you were making your case for the Titans yesterday for last year's number one seed in the AFC, which is in the fourth tier from the betting market. Yes, yeah, so last year maybe that the Titans they did they were the team that everything broke right for them. You know, they still went on a good streak without Derrick Henry. But I just don't see see it with the Colts. I feel like with the Titans that their only advantage or if you want to say like what makes the Titans able to repeat the AFC South is just the fact that I think that the AFC South is still going to be garbage. No disrespect to Matt Ryan, but we had a texter earlier to say they said, how good were the were the Seahawks last year with Russell Wilson? Why are people giving the Broncos this much hype? I got the same questions about Matt Ryan. Weren't the Falcons trash last year? So now that they have him, I know that he's supposed to be, hey, the Falcons were bad. Matt Ryan maybe still has it a little bit. I'm not buying it. Yeah, but you're doing the same thing that the dude did earlier, right? Where, hey, sucked last year. The Broncos are going to suck this year. So it's it's not a one to one comparison. I, would you say that the Colts roster is better than the Falcons roster? Oh yeah, uh, of course. Would you say the head coach is better than what they had in Arthur Smith? Yep. Yeah. I so mean, then you all can maximize. Yeah, you you can raise the floor of a guy like Matt Ryan because I would agree with Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan hasn't been great in his last few years in Atlanta. The red zone stuff has been atrocious, and he's been a really big part of those struggles. But I think when you insert him in a system where Indianapolis is primarily a running team. They don't ask much of their quarterbacks. It's it's part of the reason why Wentz was so disappointing down the stretch. He didn't have to do that much and still imploded in Week 18 in Jacksonville. I think it's all about maximizing what Mac Ryan has as opposed to what he is. If you want to put your money where these guys' mouths are, uh, AFC South odds from DraftKings right now. Indianapolis Colts minus 125. Tennessee Titans are plus 175. Jags are 7-1, to one, and if you are the type who likes to light cash on fire, the Houston Texans are 30-1 to one to win the AFC South. Paloma Villacana from Fox 5 joining us in just a moment. The Aces are going tonight to improve on their WNBA best record 4-1. and one. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. Q's on that R&R, which means John Von Tobel, Adam Candy are on R&R 920. Uh, <laughs> Come on. Thank you. 
Is there I'm a not, corny button? Uh, I'm not even the dad here between the two of us, right. so that's a horrible dad joke that you're all going to have to deal with um, for at least as long as we're filling in here for uh, for Q. Let's let's talk to somebody that people will not feel like they want to turn the radio off because they made bad jokes uh, with Paloma Villacana from Fox 5 in Las Vegas who covers sports here in uh, Southern Nevada. Paloma, I'm so sorry to have to bring you in with that. <laughs> it's all good. I laughed. Is that okay, all? all right. Well, you know what? Uh, John said earlier that he was just looking for an audience for his jokes by uh, by coming into studio. So maybe that's maybe that's where we should. Mine have layers though; things. they're well thought out. You know. Uh, well, you know, my, my mine was definitely not well thought out by by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Paloma, we know uh, that tonight in Las Vegas sports, we got the Las Vegas Aces, of course, owned by uh, Raiders owner Mark Davis, getting back on the court. They're four and one under Becky Hammond as they've gotten started on this season, taking on the Minnesota Lynx off to a slow start uh, at 1-4. and four. We know you've been covering what's been going on with the Aces. Uh, what have you seen out of them with this hot start that they've gotten off to? Yeah, I mean, Becky Hammond is, is the deal. She is the real deal. And I was just telling someone pregame, she's got this swag about her. She's got this, like, boss lady swag about her. Of course, she's coming from the NBA eight seasons with Popovich. Um, and, you know, I think she's finally here in Vegas, and she's, she's taken over. She's taken over. The Aces are undefeated at home, so they're looking to stay undefeated tonight when they host the Minnesota Lynx. Uh, they got another home game on Saturday at noon against Phoenix. So um, what I'm seeing from, from the Aces right now is that they have a core group that's, that's been together. You know, Asia Wilson, Jackie Young, Kelsey Plum, Dierica Hamby, Chelsea Gray, um, you know, so, so these, these are women who played USA basketball together. They've, you know, had some time to build chemistry. And I, I was looking at their schedule, you know, four wins. In all of those four wins, all five starters have finished in double figures. So offensively and defensively, I mean, they, they just have a quicker pace to them this season, just more flow offensively, defensively uh, than we've seen in the years past. So four and one, only one loss. Uh, to the Washington Mystics. So it's been fun to watch the Aces uh, continue night in and night out to ball out. Kelsey Plum just hungry on a, on a whole other level this year. I was talking to her yesterday, and she just told me that the competitiveness on this team is, is on a whole other level this year because they're hungry. They're hungry to win it all. They've come close the past two seasons. Uh, they want to win it all this year, and um, I think they're out to do just that this season. You know, you mentioned Kelsey Plum. Have you gotten to talk to her about her own development? Because it's been wild watching her like evolve as a scorer. Coming off a 20-point game, she's averaging 18 on the season. She's been one of the very big reasons why this team is off to the start that they are. Yeah, I actually grew up with Kelsey Plum. So she was like the basketball prodigy in my hometown. So it's been awesome to see her uh, her career take off. I mean, she's coming off the ACL injury and you know, for her to go to Tokyo and win a gold medal and, and come back here and continue to shine. She just told me, you know, she's, she's, she's on a whole other level this year. And I think we see it day in and day out. They are playing four games in seven days. So I asked her like, Hey, you know, is there a little bit of fatigue? And she goes, Hell yeah, there's some fatigue. Like hey, four games in seven days. Who came up with that schedule? But to her, it's, it's all about consistency and bringing that energy 
every night and you know it's it's been so much fun to see her and and what a story she has coming back from from her acl injury and then going all the way to the olympics winning a gold medal coming back here and and putting on a show so definitely inspirational for for athletes who are injured or you know think this is over or my career is done you know kelsey plum is is just a great example of no i mean look how far you can succeed you know, Paloma, you bring up the, the travel issue, and that's a different beast in the WNBA for those who don't know how it works because, you know, we, we talk about the Raiders all the time, and the Raiders are chartering everywhere they go, and the WNBA has clamped down on teams that have tried to use uh, private air travel. There are a lot of times they're, they're traveling commercial. It's not quite as easy uh, as it is for other teams. Uh, these ladies are going through a whole lot more to compete in the WNBA every season. Yeah, that's definitely something we've seen on social media of, you know, players being out for, for COVID-19 reasons. And, you know, that's, that's, that's an issue they always continue to bring up each season. Um, is, is their chart, is their, you know, their, their flying situation. And I know that that's, that's, that's just something we don't even see in college. You know, I, I travel with the Run and Rebels and I travel with UNLV football. So it's like, you know, if they can have their own flights and, you know, be able to, to fly seamlessly, you know, the WNBA definitely should, too. These are professional athletes. These are Olympians. These are gold medalists. You know, they, they should be given uh, the top-tier service just like everyone else. One of the things that also I think sticks out when I've been watching this team, and you, you talk about, you know, the impact Hammond has had. I, I, I wonder, has Hammond had an impact on Asia Wilson and having her shoot a little bit more? She's she's taken a, th- a three-point shot and I think, like, every game but one so far this year. It does look like that's part of the, the game plan here is get her to shoot a little bit more, maybe make defenses a little bit more honest. Yeah, I think they've been sharing the ball a lot yeah. more, too. I mean, we're seeing all five starters finish in double figures. You know, it's not just Asia Wilson – you know, having to carry the team on the back, you know, it's not just Chelsea Gray or it's not just, you know, it's not just one player, you know, going all out, scoring 20, scoring 25. Um, you know, it's, it's being able to share the ball, people coming off the bench for Quanta Williams. I mean, it's just, it's just being, we're able to see the aces all in, in, in motion and, and find that chemistry and that rhythm so early this season. I mean, right out the gate, it's like, you know, they had two weeks of training camp with, with Becky Hammond. She's coming straight from the NBA. So to see them pick it up so quickly and to be able to gel so quickly um, and have early success is, is great to see. Yeah, Paloma, that the team there, they're going to be honoring the big guys, they say. Bill Lambeer, yeah. retire, you know, giving them a big honor there, you know, the previous head coach for the team. Have you talked to anyone or any of the players that talked about how much he meant to them in their development, development getting the aces to where they are now? Yeah, I was talking to Kelsey Plum yesterday about about Bill, and she's she said, "Man, I mean, he her grow from her right out of college, you know, you know, grow into who she is today." And she said that she made him, or, or I'm sorry, Bill made Kelsey tough. You know, she has that tough that dog in her, um, and and she said that Bill brought that out of her, and that you know, the Aces wouldn't be where they are today without his foundation. He led them took three straight playoff appearances, the 2020 WNBA Finals, in the bubble. I mean, that, that takes even more of uh, a coach than, than, you know, than usual being in the bubble and going all the way to the finals. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited. I feel like I haven't seen Bill in a long time uh, with, with the bubble and COVID and everything we've been dealing with over Zoom. So to see Bill in person tonight will be awesome. He is 
uh, greeting fans at 5 o'clock right outside the Michelob Ultra Arena at the Libertine Social. So if you want to see Bill and, and hang out and, and get, get his picture or you know, say hi to him, from 5 to 6 p.m., he's hanging out with fans right outside the Michelob Ultra Arena. So we're headed over there. Um, we'll be here all night, too. So I know they, they're honoring him pregame, and I think they're giving him, like, a framed jersey and, and doing a little pregame ceremony with him. But overall, it'll just be great to see him. I feel like Vegas and everyone has, hasn't seen him in a while. So we good. Hello, Villacana from Fox 5, Las Vegas, joining us here on Raider Nation Radio. Uh, Paloma, you mentioned that you cover UNLV and the Rebels, <laughs> and, and college football has been in the spotlight today with uh, with Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher <laughs> kind of going back and forth. <laughs> Have you seen what's going on there? What do you think about uh, two of the biggest coaches yeah. in college football sniping? Yeah, I used to work for Alabama. I used to cover Alabama football, so... Um... I, I, I mean, Nick Saban is Nick Saban. He's always going to, to hold it down. And, of course, if he's not number one in recruiting, then the world is falling apart. But, um, you know, I think NIL, I mean, I think, you know, it, it's a different era we're living in, period. The transfer portal, um, you know, guys coming in and out and coaches leaving. I mean, it's just it's a total different era with basketball and football and, and all the different roster moves. So, um, you know, we've seen social media completely change recruiting and, and how guys are, are, you know, leveraging themselves and, you know, how they train, where, where they're training, where they're going, who's offering them the biggest deal, I guess, is, is it's just changing sports completely. And I think Nick Saban being, being the goat he is, being the traditional guy he is, I think he's starting to recognize that, you know, guys are, are taking to social media, the NIL deals, you know, where can they, uh, you know, get the best deal? I'm not, I don't know. I am not in college. I'm not a, a college athlete. But to me, it's, it's about the culture and the coaching staff and who is going to make me a better athlete and, and to continue my dreams at the next level. So um, it's definitely been interesting to, to cover UNLV football, to cover college athletics, and see how the transfer portal, the transfer portal and NIL deals are, are totally changing everything up. So... This is a different time we're living in. I know, like, talking to my dad, who is a former coach, total different time of, of football and sports uh, compared to when he played and he coached. So, Well, Paloma, we promise uh, no bad jokes on the way out the way we had on the way in uh, Paloma Villagana from Fox 5. Thanks so much for giving us a little bit of your time, and uh, yeah, enjoy your evening out with the Aces. Oh, thanks. Should be fun. Tip-off is at 7 o'clock, so come out, come out, come out. <laughs> there you go. Check out the Aces tonight against the Minnesota Lynx. Uh, we thank Paloma for her time. Uh, just a little bit of time left on our show here on Unnecessary Roughness. John, I I pulled a tweet up that I want to read to you. Okay. Uh, this just happened recently. It is in your wheelhouse. In fact, it might be in all of our wheelhouses a little bit. But uh, John Hollinger, of course, uh, used to work for the Memphis Grizzlies, covers the NBA very, very well. Uh, is at the NBA Draft Combine right now, mm -hmm. and he tweeted this. Drew Timmy just disagreed with a traveling call against him by saying, quote, they're not ready for the sauce, end quote. Okay. Uh, Gonzaga's Drew Timmy, who, if you don't remember, uh, rocked one of the, I don't know, best worst mustaches that we've probably ever seen right. uh, on the college stage. Were you aware 
that Drew Timmy was not only bringing uh, a former National Player of the Year uh, status with him, but also sauce to the NBA draft. Well, I knew about him, yes. Um, also, uh, he looks like he's like 50. So it's kind of weird mm-hmm. that he would speak like he's actually, even though I know he is in his 20s, um, I don't, it doesn't really jive with the way that he looks. He looks like a 50-year-old man. I mean, like, don't you think this is some YMCA swag that, that Drew Timmy's got going on here? Like, like it's like Adam Morrison, but rejiggered for the new generation. I think, the, and yes, and the real question is, if you're an executive, do you bump him up your draft board or do you bring him down your draft board for speaking like that? Yeah, the question is, as you, as you work into, and, and you know, you, John, talk a lot about Hashtag analytics uh, when it comes to pejorative term ba- basketball. It is. Right. It's. It's definitely not just information. Uh, it, when we talk about analytics, um, I don't know if cleaning the glass or or any of these other sites that cover basketball analytics have a good sauce measure. Uh, is there is there a sauce category that we can measure? Uh, I don't think there is. I don't think Drew Timmy would be high in the ratings mm. for sauceness. So I don't even know. I, I sound old at this point right now. Well, yeah, not, my- oh, come on, man. Like, because we all want to say that measurement of he got that dog in him. Yeah. That's been, you know, rampant because Jimmy Butler in the Miami Heat. But I don't even know how you would measure the sauce. sauce. And Drew Timmy, you're definitely not that guy. No, that's like that's the thing. He's that's definitely the thing. Not. Whereas, and then you're arguing a traveling call. They're not ready for this. Oh my god! If there's if there's any sauce to be had, it is Jaden Ivey's sauce in this draft. It is not Drew Timmy's right. sauce in this draft. Some believe Jaden Ivey could uh, upset a lot of folks and uh, be the first overall pick. So that's something to watch out for. Yeah, can I also say too, if you're so you're assuming he gets travel, he called for travel, so they're playing like a five on five like they do at the combine. If you're any one of the prospects, you're not looking at this guy like, what are you talking about? I'm not ready for the sauce, dude. Wait, I mean, you just have to be going directly at him on the trip down the floor, right? right? And then you are going to say to him, yeah. you're just going to yell out, sauce, like yeah. as soon as you put one down on him. Well, that or I think that I'm not good at trash talking, nor do I know what sauce means. Uh, but I will say I think the trash talk angle is, can I get some extra sauce? Because if he's implying that I'm not ready for the sauce, well, I'm going to dunk on him and tell you, no, I want extra sauce. I need that Chick-fil-A sauce. Right. On the side. He's implying that I'm not ready, and I'm telling him that I want two helpings. Oh, that is the worst trash talk <laughs> I've ever heard. I like it, though. So if you I, were coming I, down the court, if you dunked on Drew Timmy, you'd be like, I got extra some extra sauce. sauce. Or like, you know, they use the you know, barbecue chicken alert. Yeah, like, give me some extra barbecue sauce. I'm in. Barbecue <laughs> chicken with extra sauce. Like, right. I can't wait. I hope Drew Timmy does get drafted just so the inside the NBA crew can yell sauce things at him well, for a good solid two minutes. There's no shot they know about this at all. Uh, but I'll say that, you know, it's reminiscent of um, uh, Sauce Castillo, if you guys remember him. Nick Stauskas, the reason why he got that nickname was because the closed captions on one of his games just put Sauce Castillo out of nowhere. And so that was his nickname going forward. Sauce. Nick Stauskas of the Sacramento Kings and Michigan fame. Oh, God. I didn't know we were going there today, but uh, apparently we are. Extra sauce, baby. Yeah, extra extra sauce from Drew Timmy. We got extra sauce today from Ben Brown, from Pro Football Focus, from Paloma Villacana, from Fox 5. We appreciate all of their condiment contributions. Uh, We always get a full compliment of sauce from Jonathan Von Tobel. Thanks for running over to make the show. Damon Cotton is, of course, our sauce boss. Just Adam Candy. <laughs> Signing off. We'll see you next time on Unnecessary Roughness here on r and